I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, Ballot Battle. Is former President Donald Trump eligible to hold office again under the 14th Amendment? The Supreme Court takes up a case with critical implications for the 2024 election. Roadblocks on the path to peace. Secretary of State Antony Blinken ends his Mideast mission as U.S.-Israeli relations hit a new low following the Prime Minister's rejection of a proposed Gaza ceasefire plan. Broken border deal. One archbishop says Congress can fix it. He'll tell us how. And an annual event focused on the faithful. My goal today is very simple. It's to get you even more in love and more excited about this the Eucharist in this year of Eucharistic revival and for you to be rushing to make plane and train and bus reservations to Indianapolis this summer. We'll have the highlights from the 2024 Catholic Prayer Breakfast right here in our nation's capital. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of St. Josephine Bakita. Our top story tonight, the U.S. Supreme Court held a first-of-its-kind hearing. The justices will determine if former President Trump and current Republican presidential candidate should be kept off the ballot because of his role in the January 6, 2021 insurrection. The case centers on Colorado's ballot, and as Eric Rosales reports, the outcome could impact the presidential election nationwide. Good evening. Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution's 14th Amendment, which passed just after the Civil War, got a modern-day test today before the justices of the U.S. Supreme Court. Former President Donald Trump's attorneys argued that the president cannot be kept off any ballot because the law is clearly on their side, and the president never participated in any riot. So if a state banned even an admitted insurrectionist from the ballot, it would be adding to and altering the Constitution's qualifications for office, because under Section 3, the candidate need only qualify during the time the candidate holds the office to which he's been elected. Trump's attorney contends January 6 wasn't an insurrection, and even if it was, Trump never participated. Lawyers for Colorado voters disagree. The attack was incited by a sitting president of the United States to disrupt the peaceful transfer of presidential power. By engaging in insurrection against the Constitution, President Trump disqualified himself from public office. Several Republican senators showed their support on the Supreme Court steps. Well, they're scared of President Trump because he believes in our country. He believes in the 248 years that we've been here that we've done it the right way. When the Democrats say that they're defending democracy, what they're doing is trying to scoop up power for themselves. Democratic Senator Dick Durbin wanted Justice Clarence Thomas to recuse himself. There's no question that his life was uh, uniquely positioned in the political debate on election denial. Uh, I think it would have been in the best interest of the court and a reputation for him to step aside. Speaking from his Florida home, Donald Trump says he felt his case went well and reminded Americans the words he used that day. I said, peacefully and patriotically. The speech was called peacefully and patriotically. It's pe peacefully and patriotically. He said I said bad statement. It was the exact opposite. One thing all parties can agree on, that this is a case of national importance and only the nation's highest court can decide this election year. Also want to let you know about the latest on the foreign aid bill, money for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. Senators have started debate on that issue without any border reforms. 
Outside the U.S. Supreme Court, Derek Rosales, EWTN, News Nightly. And for analysis, let's bring in John Malcolm, Senior Legal Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. John, good to see you again. Talk to us about the significance of this case and your key takeaways from today's oral arguments. Well, this is the first time that uh, a state has tried to disqualify the leading presidential contender for one of the major parties, not to mention a former president of the United States, by invoking uh, the insurrection clause, by saying that basically he is an officer of the United States who engaged in an insurrection. He had previously taken an oath to support uh, the Constitution, and he is therefore disqualified. I don't think that argument went over very well today at the Supreme Court. It's always perilous uh, predicting the outcome of a case from the arguments, but I feel fairly sure that there are at least five votes to overturn the Colorado Supreme Court, and it would not at all surprise me if it ended up being a unanimous decision. I think the justices uh, were receptive to the argument that a president does not qualify qualify as an officer of the United States under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. I think they were receptive to the argument uh, that that clause is not self-executing, that requires federal legislation to implement it. And I think that they were deeply distrustful uh, or, or troubled by the fact that you could end up having 50 states using 50 different procedures, each one making a determination about who is qualified and who is not qualified to remain on a ballot and serve as president of the United States. John, I, I want to talk about this. Um, you know, I'd venture to say that not many Americans are really familiar with Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Can you sure. dive into that quickly a little bit and tell us why Colorado is using that as the basis of their case? Sure. So the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, uh, it was ratified in the immediate aftermath of the Civil War, and it was very clear that the main intent behind that was to prevent the Confederate states from electing officials, either state officials, judges, federal officials, and having them serve. So it basically said, if you had taken an oath and you engaged in an insurrection, you are disqualified from holding office unless Congress grants you amnesty. Congress ultimately did, by the way, end up granting amnesty to all the people who had previously supported the, uh, the Confederate cause, but that did not happen. Uh, for several years. And I think the concern was is that the Confederate states were going to elect uh, former rebels. They did, in fact. The vice president of the Confederacy, Alexander Stevens, was elected uh, back to Congress. Uh, and I, I think that was a concern. And so one of the arguments that seemed very strange to the justices is that this provision was designed to give the federal government more power over making those decisions, not empowering each state to make those decisions. John, almost out of time, but really quickly, what comes next and how soon do you think we'll see a decision? Well, now the court's going to meet in conference tomorrow to decide how to decide the case, and I think they will issue uh, an opinion very quickly. Usually in the most contentious cases, they don't come out until the end of June. It would not surprise me if this opinion does not come out. It would not surprise me if it comes out before the end of February. The justices are very well aware of the fact that the election season is underway, and it's important that they decide this case quickly. All right, John. Thank you so much for your insights. Appreciate it. Good to be with you. Our former President Trump is on the ballot in Nevada for today's caucuses. This comes after former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley faced a decisive loss during Tuesday's primary, a contest the former president did not compete in. Today's caucuses do count towards the nomination. Unlike the primary, the former president is expected to win all the state's delegates as Nikki Haley 
will not be competing. A special counsel report on President Biden's handling of classified documents is now public, and it found that there are no criminal charges warranted at this time. Special counsel acknowledged I cooperated completely. I did not throw up any roadblocks. I sought no delays. In fact, I was so determined to give special counsel what they needed, I went forward with a five-hour in-person interview over the two days of October the 9th, 8th and 9th last year, even though Israel had just been attacked. After a year-long probe, special counsel Robert Hur concluded our investigation uncovered evidence that President Biden willfully retained and disclosed classified materials after his vice presidency when he was a private citizen, the report said, but does not establish Mr. Biden's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Our Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is returning to the U.S. following his trip to the Middle East, where he again pushed for peace and a return of the hostages. But for now, no deal. And public divisions and tensions between the United States and Israel remain. So the key question tonight, what comes next? White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. You're right, Tracy. That is the critical question. For Secretary Antony Blinken, it was his fifth visit to the region since the conflict erupted just over four months ago now. But as he comes back home tonight, the path to peace and an end to the suffering both remain elusive. Yet Blinken and other U.S. officials remain optimistic. President Joe Biden heads to Leesburg, Virginia, to speak before the House Democratic Caucus Issues Conference, not stopping to talk about the developments in the Middle East, while his top diplomat, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, wraps up his visit overseas, earlier meeting with Israeli opposition leader Yair Lapid in Tel Aviv. For now, no luck on any ceasefire or hostage release agreement. We're intensely focused on the hostages and uh, determination to bring them home to their, their families. Hamas is still holding over 130 hostages, but around 30 of them are feared dead. In the White House press briefing room, this assessment. We're optimistic that we'll still be able to get a deal in place that will allow for an extended pause, allow for more aid to get in, and allow for a maximum number of hostages to get out. Today, Israeli airstrikes targeting residential homes in a neighborhood in the southern Gaza Strip. Dozens killed or wounded, women and children among them. And now that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has rejected Hamas's ceasefire terms, the divide growing between the U.S. and Israel on the way forward. The U.S. State Department saying... Taking every step we can to ensure that this conflict does not um, expand, it does not grow and uh, wade into other parts of the region. The war that Hamas started October 7th in a brutal deadly attack on Israel has since claimed the lives of more than 27,000 Palestinians, and the conflict continues unending. I've seen these reports about uh, a military operation in Darafa. Uh, as I said in answering Jenny's question, we have not seen evidence of serious planning for such an operation. Next week, President Biden welcomes a Mideast leader to the White House. The King of Jordan is scheduled to arrive here on Monday. We're told they'll discuss, quote, the ongoing situation in Gaza and efforts to produce an enduring end to the crisis. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. Well, the fighting and bloodshed in the war between Hamas and Israel continues and has set off religious tensions around the globe. The Holy Father has now weighed in on the strife and is inviting everyone to work for peace in the Holy Land. EWTN Vatican Bureau Chief Andreas Tannhauser has more on the call for interfaith dialogue. Per il cammino che state facendo. 
My heart is close to you, to the Holy Land, to all the peoples who inhabit it, Israelis and Palestinians, and I pray that the desire for peace may prevail in all. Pope Francis wrote those words in a February 2nd letter to the Jewish community. That message elicited many reactions and a deep sense of gratitude from such leaders as Rabbi Dr. Alan Goshen Gottstein. Whenever the Pope sends a message, one takes note of it. And it's the first time, I think, that the Pope has been writing a letter to his Jewish brothers and sisters. The Holy Father addressed a note to Karma ben Johanan, a theologian of Jewish-Christian dialogue, in response to an emotional appeal. So Jewish scholars wrote to the Pope asking him to express that friendship. It was a beautiful letter in which he really spoke from the heart, affirming the depth of friendship, humanity, care, solidarity. And I think in a very profound way, the request was met in the spirit in which it was sent out. In his message, the Holy Father also noted that the ongoing war has produced attitudes of division in global public opinion, which sometimes results in forms of anti-Semitism and anti-Judaism. In many places there's a serious deterioration, and hopefully the Pope's message and the deepening of friendship between Catholics and Jews and Christians and Jews can help provide a counter-voice to that tendency. As Rabbi Dr. Alan Gershengotstein explained to EWTN News Nightly, interfaith dialogue remains a priority and will be accompanied by a project that will soon arise in Assisi, which has always been a place of meeting and brotherhood. We're starting uh, the House of Friendship and Hope, which is to be a museum and meeting place featuring the theme of friendship across religions in line with the tradition of the popes, who have convened multiple meetings of religious leaders here in Assisi and teaching the depth of prayer and understanding so that the other isn't foreign, but the other is someone to be understood. In Assisi, Andreas Tonhauser, EWTN News Nightly. Uh, we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including the border deal may be dead, but one archbishop says Congress could quickly fix the border crisis. We'll ask him how. And breaking chains. A 27-year survivor of human trafficking shares her incredible story and how she has now devoted her life to helping others. on the border, chaos in Congress, and no compromises on a fix for the U.S. broken immigration system. It seems lawmakers are getting nowhere fast, but one faith leader says it doesn't have to be this way. In his column titled, Congress Could Quickly Fix the Border Crisis, in the January edition of the Florida Catholic, Archbishop Thomas Wensky of the Archdiocese of Miami writes, perhaps this moment is an opportunity to address both humanitarian concerns and, at the same time, regulate the flow of migrants our nation of immigrants has always welcomed newcomers and our economy will continue to need their labor. Orderly and legal migration is to be preferred. The present disorder on our borders should be replaced with more legal pathways, not fewer. Archbishop Thomas Wensky joins us now. Thank you so much for being with us, Your Excellency. A, a lot to discuss here. But first, I want to get your reaction to what happened yesterday with the border deal. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think uh, it, uh, it fell apart and it was predictable that it would do so. And I think uh, even uh, the uh, advocates uh, on the, uh, you know, the pro-immigrant side, if you will, are probably uh, applauding uh, 
uh, President Trump's uh, efforts to derail the thing because most of them didn't find much to like in the proposal that the that the Democrats, uh, you know, uh, uh, brought forward because uh, it was just basically only enforcement provisions, and uh, and that's not going to be the way to 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 solve uh, the immigration uh, our broken immigration system. Uh, Democrats and Republicans, conservative liberals, I think they're all in agreement that the immigration system is broken. And it's been broken for two decades. And there have been sincere attempts by uh, both Republicans and Democrats over the past 20 years to try to uh, remedy the issue. Uh, we haven't had an immigration reform since Ronald Reagan uh, passed an amnesty in 1986. Uh, George Bush was close to getting one done in, in 2000, uh, 2001, 2002. Uh, Senator Mel Martinez, a Republican, also tried very hard to get uh, immigration reform through, as did Marco Rubio a few years ago. And uh, and so you know, it's been there have been bipartisan efforts on both sides to to bring about a uh, a comprehensive immigration reform, but it all falls apart because both sides, or at least some people on both sides, use it as a wedge issue to, uh, to, uh, to appeal to the most extreme parts of each of their parties. And so you have uh, some very anti uh, or neo-nativists uh, uh, you know, uh, among the Republicans that want to stop all types of immigration. And, uh, and on the other side, you have the Democrats, that don't, you know, open border type of thing. And, 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 and so by paralyzing any efforts that change, they, they keep this issue alive and they can use it as a wedge issue when it comes time for campaigns. And that's what we've seen happen year and year, year and year again. So that's unfortunate. And, uh, and really, as I said in that article, that it was in our Florida Catholic newspaper, but also it was also printed in three of our local secular newspapers here in South Florida, the Palm Beach Post, the Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel, and the Miami Herald. Uh, Congress could could uh, address this by by going back to a old provision in the 1920s era immigration legislation, in which at that time. There was a provision in the law that was called registry, and and that in the 1920s it said that if anybody that was in the United States before such and such a date in 1921 or 1922, and they had good moral character, they could apply for a regularization of their status. Yeah, and Your and Excellency, I'm I'm so sorry to jump in here. Um, unfortunately, we're running out of time, uh, but would love to talk more about this another time. We've got to have love to have you back on to talk more about this. Such a, um, a subject that really needs a little bit more time uh, for analysis. We thank you so much. Okay. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, boiling over. A global tourist attraction is in hot water after a series of natural disasters. Today is the feast day of St. Josephine Bakita, the patron saint of victims of modern slavery 
and human trafficking. Born in the late 19th century in Sudan, Josephine Bakita was kidnapped at the age of nine and sold into slavery several times until ending up in Italy and eventually giving her life to the Lord. In 2000, Pope John Paul II canonized her, saying that she came to understand the profound truth that God and not man is the true master of every human being, of every human life. Jean Marie Davis of Vermont knows all too well the plight of St. Josephine Bakita, as she too was a victim of human trafficking for 27 years. And she chronicles her struggles and triumphs in a new book. Joining us now is Jean Marie Davis, executive director of Branches Pregnancy Resource Center in Vermont and author of Breaking Chains Against All Odds, a book which chronicles her life, including her 27-year struggle as a sex trafficking victim. Jean Marie, thank you so much for coming on today. So much to get to. Uh, but first, tell us about your book and why you thought it was so important to write it. Oh, because I wanted a book to show how a person actually got out of human trafficking. Uh, there's a lot of awareness of human trafficking, but a lot of people don't know the process of helping a woman get out. So I wanted uh, just to show the walk that I took on how I got out and how the pregnancy center saved my life and sharing Jesus and how he, in being introduced to, into my life, has put me into this position as the executive director. Talk to us about how vital pregnancy resource centers are when it comes to, you know, breaking this cycle of trafficking. Um, and maybe tell us a little bit about your story there. Uh, wow. So uh, for me, it was the fact that Phyllis Phelps took the time to listen to me. Uh, and the words that she said is, how can I help you? And for once in over a 10-year period of people not um, questioning me or saying that I'm lying or trying to manipulate me into believing that I was going out of my mind, she was able to sit down and listen and to understand and say, yes, I know what you're going through, um, but then to turn around and say, I know a man named Jesus. And that right there in her eyes, her eyes, I'll never forget, I looked at her and I said, I want what you have. There's something about your eyes that I want what you have. And so that right there is, it was so personable to me because it was like, wow, a person who's never met me before really cares about me to where you would want to do life with me and want to um, walk through this journey in this life that you're presenting me. Algie Marie, before I let you go, uh, tell folks where they can get your book and what do you hope they learn from it? Uh, well, you could go to Amazon. Um, there's a, a, web, a link there uh, and it's breaking chains against all odds. And what I'm hoping is for people to not, not only see a woman who was um, in a lot of pain, but also the hope and the redemption uh, that Jesus Christ do set people free and that the hope is um, Jesus and that there is a way for people who has never been probably ever dealt with human trafficking before. This woman, Phyllis, she helped me. And anybody can do the same way, the same, you know, same things as she did. Um, I've had people just say, hey, you know, here's a, a bottle of water. That would help, you know, so... That's what I'm hoping is that people will start to be geared to have more action and want to get more involved. Well, Jean Marie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. And thank you for all that you do. We appreciate it. God bless you. God bless you.
Around 1,000 people gathered at a hotel in the nation's capital for an event focused on the faithful. The 19th annual National Catholic Prayer Breakfast brought together faith leaders, lawmakers, and lay people all to begin their day in prayer. EWTN correspondent Catherine Hager was there and has this report. The 19th National Catholic Prayer Breakfast here in Washington, D.C. has just concluded. It was an early morning. Just to put it into perspective, doors opened at 6 a.m., but that didn't stop just the buzzing amount of energy that was here. It's always a joyful reunion each year at the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast with Catholics, not just in D.C., but across the country and across the globe, gathering together in prayer, truly in prayer. We all pray together, the Divine Mercy Chaplet, other prayers as well. We heard from faithful in Nigeria about the persecution that they are facing. Also, other prominent speakers included the keynote, Bishop William Byrne of Springfield, Massachusetts. The Eucharistic revival requires a new encounter with the mercy of Jesus Christ. That moment and every moment of absolution is a renewal of spiritual innocence. We heard from Tim Glomkowski. Whatever human efforts the church undertakes to build up a culture of life, must be accompanied by a powerful spiritual movement of God. And also very prominent at this event, Helen Alvary, Professor Helen Alvary, was awarded the Christa Fidelis Laici Award for her work and for her witness. Of course, she's done so much, even just in the pro-life world alone, for her winsome communication. The theme for this 19th National Catholic Prayer Breakfast was Be of Good Cheer, the Eucharist, the source and summit of our faith. And I will say that cheer was felt um, um, woven in throughout all the speakers and also the theme of the Eucharist. Really, the speakers brought us back to keeping our eyes on Christ and truly the source and summit of our faith. I'm Catherine Hadro reporting for EWTN News Nightly. An incredible event in Washington indeed. Well, in Iceland, the third time isn't always a charm, especially when it comes to volcanoes. The eruption has caused authorities to evacuate the Blue Lagoon Small, one of the nation's largest tourist attractions. It's happening just north of Grindavik. This is the third eruption since December, forcing the same town to evacuate again. Officials say there is no immediate threat to the town. The previous eruptions lasted a few days. And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.